0: Can you imagine, I'm going to ask you to to imagine this morning, what it would be like if we lived during a time when the elder statesman of our movement was saying that people who deny the Trinity, the eternal nature of God, salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, And who never even believe in Jesus are going to heaven? What if our elder statesman even went so far as to say that Muslims and Buddhists are members of the body of Christ? Just imagine what that would be like and then move beyond your imagination and know that it is so. I can imagine it because it's reality. The most identified name with evangelicalism has done just those things, sadly. That's discouraging to me. It should be discouraging to you. We live in that kind of day. Add to this localized. That's worldwide. Add to this localized, wholesale gospel compromise to the degree that one prominent local pastor has said that a man who Christians historically have labeled antichrist is a faith filled follower of Jesus and that you should follow him add to this the normal pressures of life Add to this pastoral pressures if you're a pastor. Add to this the pressures we feel as a church, and you will be discouraged. I am discouraged. It's inevitable. When the gospel is compromised like it is, not in ages gone by like it has been, but like it is, just inevitable, you're going to be discouraged. I am discouraged by these things. But this isn't anything new. Timothy, a young pastor, pastoring a church not altogether different from this one, was discouraged. And he needed encouragement that can only come from the Gospel because Timothy, to whatever degree, was teetering back and forth so discouraged that he was, it seems, beginning to wonder, is this really worth it? If you turn with me in your Bibles to 2 Timothy chapter 2, I think you'll find some encouragement. I've been encouraged by these words. I want you to be encouraged by these words. Omaha Bible Church needs to be encouraged by these words because we are not living in great days when it comes to the Gospel, specifically even amongst our own evangelicals. And so this morning we're going to look at four motivations for gospel fidelity. Four encouragers, four motivations for faithfulness to the gospel. And we'll be able to identify these motivations or encouragers in 2 Timothy 2, 8-13. Now really this is a follow-up to last Sunday where we looked at these gospel mandates in chapter 1. These are mandates. These are things we must do because of the gospel and the centrality of the gospel. And it was time for us, if you will, last Sunday, for us as a church to recommit our vows. And for me as a pastor and for you as a Christian. Remember, Paul was writing to Timothy who's discouraged, but no doubt if Timothy's discouraged, it's not just him. He is pastoring a church and there are Christians who are discouraged. And so it ends up getting communicated to everyone. And so in the same kind of spirit as I'm discouraged and I struggle with discouragement because of gospel compromise, I know I'm not the only one and I know we all need to be encouraged with those mandates we saw them last time. Today we're going to look at motivations. How do we deal with these mandates? How do we find encouragement regarding what we must stand for as a church? The first motivation for gospel fidelity or faithfulness is the Savior Himself the Savior Himself. And we see this in verses 8 and 9. Look with me if you would. This will be really where we'll put most of our eggs today as far as baskets are concerned. Verse 8 says, Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, the offspring of David, as preached in my gospel. Pause, pause, pause. Waiting for soaking in to happen Timothy you're discouraged Pat you're discouraged Omaha Bible Church you're discouraged member of Omaha Bible Church you're discouraged I've got a word for you in fact it's a command it's a present tense command a present tense imperative if you want to be impressed by the grammar and it is remember Jesus Christ literally Keep on remembering Jesus Christ. If we want to put it in the negative, don't you dare ever, 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 ever forget Jesus Christ. He is the source of encouragement. He is where it is at, so to speak. That is, if you will, the main exhortation or motivation for gospel faithfulness. It's Christ. Remember Jesus Christ. Have your gaze fixed on the cross. Have your focus in ministry and in life riveted to the cross. The way to best deal with your discouragement is don't forget what this is all about to begin with. It's not about a philosophy anyway. It's not about a program anyway. It's about a person. His name is Christ. The longer I'm a Christian, and I haven't been a Christian for that many years, but the longer I'm a Christian, the more I love, I love, I love this particular motivation. It's the one that cures all ills, if you will, because you get so discouraged, and you get so frustrated, and you look around. Remember Jesus Christ. I talked to a pastor not long ago who I really respect, and we had enough time together, and we talked about a lot of pretty serious things, and Eventually, I felt comfortable enough and I said to him, I said, so do you think about quitting? Been doing pastoral ministry longer than I have. Faithful, well-respected. He said, more and more. I wasn't anticipating the response, do you? More and more. I think it's almost inevitable. Maybe not. But you're trying to proclaim the gospel to be faithful and you pour into people's lives and you, by the grace of God, see some, some faithfulness happening and then it's one heartbreak after another heartbreak after another heartbreak. Even in chapter 1, Paul is acknowledging, Timothy, I know there are people that you know and I know and they have walked off the track. They're no longer holding on to the gospel. And Timothy, I know that and it's discouraging. And sometimes it becomes so discouraging you think, you know what, I might just want to sell insurance. I might want to do something else. Let me find something where I can make more money and have more free time and more whatever because I don't think I really need this and I didn't sign up for this to begin with. The great cure for you and for me to sign up for one more day and one more week and one more year And one more decade, one more lifetime, is remembering Jesus Christ. It's about Him. It is about Him. And He is where we are to have our focus. He emphasizes the person and work of Christ. That's what what we are to remember. And if you look at verse 8, let's start with the person. Jesus Christ... And I'm going to skip to to the next component, the offspring of David. We'll go back to risen from the dead in a second. Let's talk about person first. Jesus Christ, the offspring of David. If you're new to the Bible, that probably doesn't really ring profound. (laughs) Or if you've been drinking too much NutraSweet like me, your short-term memory loss, you think, help me out, Pat. Remember Jesus Christ risen, uh, excuse me, risen from the dead, and then he emphasizes the offspring of David. That is more profound than we imagine perhaps. The offspring of David, what's profound about that? Well, offspring of David, if you go back to second Samuel chapter seven, you have the Davidic covenant we call it, God's promise with David that he would have an offspring not just his immediate son, he would eventually, 2 Samuel 7.13, 7.12, 7.14, he would have an offspring who would reign forever. That there would be a greater David and he would be central to all of God's plans and all of God's purposes. Then you cross-reference to Matthew chapter 1 that Jesus is the son of David. He's the one. And then you keep reading in Matthew chapter 1 verse 21, and he, the son of David... Will save his people from their sins. He is everything in God's drama of redemption. If he's the son of David, offspring of David, that's who this Jesus is that we're to remember. He is the lead in the play, so to speak. Everything centers around him. And think about how encouraging that is. If our whole life and ministry and church life and pastoral life is somehow centered around promoting and articulating and defending a message from one of the supporting actors or actresses, I think there are better things to do. We're talking about Christ, the offspring of David, key to God's whole plan for the whole world. That's who our ministry focuses on. Remember Jesus Christ. What's the Bible all about? Jesus Christ, offspring of David, the eternal ruler. This is great. I'm signing up for another hour, signing up for another day. It's putting it in perspective because your perspective gets blurred and skewed as you look at the, the, the challenges that are all around. Remember Jesus Christ. He's the offspring of David, not some sideshow or supporting cast member. He's the sovereign, eternal, reigning king. But that's not all. Verse 8 goes on to say, or actually we're going to rewind a little bit. Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead. Now we're talking about the work of Christ. I don't want this to feel like English class, but another important grammatical point you don't get in your English Bible. Risen from the dead, one Greek word, and it is a perfect passive participle. Perfect passive participle? I came to church for that? It's not an English class. You're right, it's a Greek class. One grammarian puts it this way the perfect participle here lays stress on the fact that he is, I like this, still risen. You could even translate it interpretively this way He was raised and he still is raised. In other words, he's not a dead pseudo savior. Again, you know what? Remember Jesus Christ uh, who had a lot of profound teachings and really seemed to, you know, point us in the right direction. And, and you know, He died a martyr's death. And so we should really be inspired by that. Remember Him. Uh, I think I quit. Right? Remember Jesus Christ raised from the dead and He is still raised. He's the living Savior. He is not like any of the other pseudo-saviors. And if we had a pseudo-savior, I'm going to quit a million times over. Why should we continue to stand and take beatings for the gospel? We shouldn't. But if we're talking about the living Savior, it puts everything in perspective. Changes everything. Changes everything. And I realize these are just basic things. Timothy could have been saying, Paul, tell me something I don't know. And maybe that's somewhat of the point. How easily we forget what it's really all about. It's about Christ, raised and still raised. Romans 1 4 says, at the resurrection, he was declared to be the Son of God in power. It was God's official, God the Father's official way of saying, and he said it in other ways, this really is my Son. He said it even from heaven, but it was the most outstanding, significant, official way of saying, this is my Son! He's not like any of the prophets, as good as they were. He's my son, Romans 1.4. Not only that, when we look at the resurrection, we even see that there's hope there for us. Persecution can only get so bad to the point where you're so frustrated and you're so persecuted, they kill you. Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead. By the way, if He's raised, read 1 Corinthians 15, you have the hope of resurrection. Not only the hope, you have the guarantee of resurrection. Puts everything in perspective. All right, I can do it another day. Remember Jesus Christ. But that's not all. Remember Jesus Christ at the end of that verse in verse 8, as preached in my gospel. I love the way Paul says it. He, in no way, shape, or form would we ever conclude he means his gospel as opposed to another gospel. Read Galatians one: he makes it clear there is no other gospel. If there's another gospel, it's a false gospel. But he says, "As preached in my gospel, like no one else other than Christ himself, he's known for one thing: gospelizing. The apostle Paul, by the grace of God, writes Romans, it's all gospel. He defends the gospel in Galatians, it's all gospel, to the point where he says it's mine." I've given myself to this. You know that about me, Timothy. And he says, remember Jesus Christ, the one I've been telling you about over and over again, the one who I tell everyone about every chance I get. Remember Him. The Christ who came from heaven to live a perfectly righteous life, to earn salvation, if you will, for all those who would ever believe. The Jesus Christ, the Gospel that says He died a sinner's death even though He never sinned in thought, word, or in action. Perfectly atoning, satisfying the righteous requirements of God and God's justice. The Jesus Christ and His Gospel that that has Jesus rising again from the dead as the victor, as the proof that atonement has been made and power over sin has been demonstrated. Again, for everyone who would ever believe, Remember that Jesus. Remember that Jesus. Remember his gospel, which is Paul's gospel, which is our gospel, which is the gospel. Remember that gospel, the gospel that says you're saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. He gets all the credit. And if you remember that gospel, you'll probably sign up for another day. It's not time to quit. Doesn't matter what kind of emails you get. Doesn't matter what kind of hate mail you get. Doesn't matter who isn't talking to you anymore. Doesn't matter how it's affected your professional life. Doesn't matter how it's affected your social life. It doesn't matter, doesn't matter, doesn't matter, doesn't matter. Why? Because Jesus Christ is the Savior who's alive and who saved sinners, and he saved me. Remember that. Isn't that good? I just live in this world. Remember Jesus Christ. Remember Jesus Christ. How simple is that? But how easily we forget. We get distracted. Somebody wants us to go down a, the road of a, uh, well, well, let's go social gospel. Well, we want to have a social impact, but that's the fruit of the gospel. That's not the gospel. Uh, or a politicized kind of gospel well we do want to I guess you know make an impact as citizens of the United States because this is where we are and so we want to have an impact on politics but but that's not the gospel that that would be impact as the fruit of the gospel what is the gospel read first Corinthians 15 and it has everything to do with Jesus Christ crucified Jesus Christ raised and the call to believe in him for redemption for forgiveness, for righteousness. Omaha Bible Church, because we're a church, because we're fallen, because we're not perfected, and you and me, we have a tendency to forget Jesus Christ. Maybe we focus on other Bible things. Maybe we focus on other things and start getting confused about what the gospel is versus the fruit of the gospel. It's just how it is. History shows it over and over again. Remember Jesus Christ. That's what we're here for. We're a Christian church, which means we're gospelizing people. And it's so easy for us not to be that. That's why we need to be reminded here. Let's close out, verse. Let's go to verse 9, and then we'll move on to number two, where it says. Just the first half of verse 9, Paul says, For which I am suffering, bound with chains as a criminal. The only thing I would want to point out there is the obvious, and that's that Paul's not just preaching something that he doesn't practice. Just as a reminder, all of you Timothys out there, (laughs) all of you churches out there, church members, I'm commanding you to do, Timothy, as a gracious mandate, the very thing that I know all about. That's why I'm in prison. That's why they're treating me like a criminal. That's why I'm facing injustice, because of the gospel. I imagine Paul was somewhat like John Bunyan, famous John Bunyan from Pilgrim's Progress, the author of that if he would just stop preaching the gospel of salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, which gives Christ all of the glory, they wouldn't keep arresting him. He would be somebody in the community. He would be significant and have clout, probably make a lot of money. He's pretty smart. (laughs) Just stop. And everything will be okay. John Bunyan, as soon as you stop gospelizing, we don't care if you talk about Jesus. We don't care if you talk about God. We don't care if you talk about those things and spirituality. Just stop talking about salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone, and the door of the jail is unlocked. Just walk out. And I like Bunyan. He says, I'll keep doing this till moss grows on my eyebrows. That's how long I'm going to stay in this jail. That's how long. Remembering the gospel. A second motivation for gospel fidelity would be Scripture and its power. (laughs) Scripture and its power. First one is the Savior. The second one is Scripture. Look at the second part of verse 9. We'll do this one rather quick, quickly. It says, But the Word of God, so he's in prison, but the Word of God is not bound. The contrast is, I'm bound, but the Word of God is not bound. And again, a little bit more grammar. It's perfect tense. It has not been bound, and it still isn't bound. In other words, it will never be bound. And the Word of God, he seems to use that phrase, not just for all Scripture in general in 2 Timothy. It's Gospel-specific. Here's perspective, Timothy. The Word of God is not bound. The Scripture and its power should encourage you. Think about this. Omaha Bible Church. Pat Avendroth. Mr. and Mrs. Christian. Christian juniors. The Gospel isn't bound. You might get persecuted. People might not talk to you anymore. People might say things about you that aren't true, and on the list could go, but you need to know this, and I need to know this, and take it to the spiritual bank. The Word of God, i.e., here, gospel, is free. It is free. I don't mean free as in you don't pay for it. That's true too. It's free in that it's not bound. The Word of God, the Gospel of God does its work. It is effectual, we might say. It is effective. It always is going to do what God wants it to do. And so they might arrest you. Probably not in this day and age. They could. Or do all kinds of other things. The Word of God, the Gospel of Jesus Christ is going to do its work. Paul knew about this. Turn with me, if you would, to Philippians chapter 1. It's very helpful, very personal. The gospel can't be stopped. You can lock me up. You can issue a gag order. You can do all these kinds of things. You can slander me. You can say, say all kinds of bad things about me. But Paul is saying the gospel goes out, and it goes out effectively according to God's plan and purpose. I love Philippians 1.12 where it says, I want you to know, brothers... That what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. And you would scratch your head about that and go, what? Paul didn't want to be imprisoned. He keeps wanting to go to Rome his whole life and he can't get there. Or when he is in Rome, he's in prison and he's not free to go out and do gospel ministry effectively. And, and he wouldn't say, oh, yes, I just can't wait to go to jail. He he would look at it from a human perspective and say, that's not what I want. I want great commission ministry, right? Make disciples of all nations. And how in the world is that going to happen if they keep chaining me up? And you want freedom, and we want freedom as a church to to, to proclaim Christ boldly and clearly without any restraint. And and we we love that kind of desire, and that's what we seek after. But sometimes there's roadblock here, roadblock there, circumstance here, stopping us there. (sighs) Ah. And the Philippians are thinking, Paul, we're praying that you get out. Man, the gospel, we really want the gospel to go forth. We're going to get you out some way or another. We're just going to keep praying. He's like, listen, be encouraged. Right? That's verse 12. I need you to know something. (laughs) Turn your prayer supplication into prayers of praise. (laughs) It's actually served to advance the gospel. Verse 13, so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial or praetorian guard to all the, and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. Read, it's for Christ and His gospel. You wouldn't believe the impact this is having. Circumstantially, it's in the toilet. When it comes to gospel ministry, this is absolutely astounding. Verse 14, and most of the brothers having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment. So Christians are actually not being discouraged. They're saying this is a good thing, that's the right way, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. This is, this is fuel on the fire, a catalyst for boldness. And then verse 15, Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. You know what? There are even people who are doing what they're doing to try to get me in more trouble, and I don't care. I have tasted of the, the effectual, I've witnessed the effectual power of the gospel and nothing can stop it. I love that. This should encourage us. When we're thinking, you know what, maybe we just need to back off the gospel thing a little bit. Let's just talk more about spirituality. Let, let, you know, we probably shouldn't talk a lot about sin because that does hurt people's self-esteem. Maybe we could be more effective if we said, you know, you're you're, you're such a good person. You're such a good person. And you know, God looked ahead in the corridor of time and he saw how good you were. Oh, you're so nice and lovely. He saw that, that, that he sent his son Jesus to die for you. If I sound like I'm, mocking it's because I am because that's not the gospel that's a lie Romans chapter 5 says that while we were yet sinners Christ died for us that's what makes the gospel so good that we're not good while we were yet sinners what is a sinner a sinner is someone who is opposed a rebel remember in terms of even uh, former days we don't understand this because we don't live under a, a monarchy under a king We have a reputation as people for hating that, by the way. Maybe it even helps us not understand the Bible. When there is a king who is a ruler and you try to overthrow the king via insurrection, trying to topple the government, you're a sinner. Because you want to play king. The king says, here's what you will do. And you say, I will not. You just elevated yourself to position of king because you're above the king, because you write the rules. That's what we're talking about. God says, don't eat that fruit. They eat the fruit. They say, in effect, we're God. While we were yet sinners, while we were spiritual insurrectionists, trying to overthrow the divine, perfect government, shaking our fist at God in our hearts, as religious as we may have been, Christ died for us. See, we feel the temptation. You start preaching that kind of gospel, man, that guy's a lunatic, you know? What's with that Omaha Bible Church? I never leave feeling good. I just keep hearing about Christ as if, you know, it's just Christ, Christ, Christ. That pastor should listen to Robert Shuler more or something. He needs to learn, you know, how, how, how good we all are. It's a lie. And when we feel the temptation to start using truth language to tell lies because of the pressure and because we want people to like us and we want more influence and want want more power, what we need is to remember what we see here. The gospel is powerful to do its work, the Scripture and its power. The Word of God is not bound. The Word of God is going to do what it's going to do no matter what. No one can stop it. Luther said, the body they may kill, God's truth abides still. That's just a great paraphrase, an artistic way of saying what we see here. God's Word is going to do its work. It's going to carry out its power. Thomas More in the 1500s, And others did everything they could to undermine William Tyndale. Because William Tyndale had the audacity to think that it would be a good idea to translate the Bible in the language of the people so they could read it and understand the gospel and understand that salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone. And they would have nothing of it, and so they strangled William Tyndale, and then they burned him. And we know who William Tyndale is today, and we like William Tyndale, (laughs) and we read Tyndale biographies, and it's fuel on the fire because it reminds us that while they may kill us or imprison us or try to stop the gospel, nothing will stop it. In fact, attempts to try to stop it, what Paul discovered was it actually just leads to more progress. And we need to remember the power of the gospel. It can't be stopped. It can't be imprisoned. So let's just keep giving it, giving it, giving it, giving it. And amidst the difficulty, remember Jesus Christ risen from the dead. What's the worst thing they can do? They can kill you. But you're not following a dead Savior, which would be a waste of time. You're following the living Christ who will raise you again. I'm signing up for another day of ministry. I'm recommitting. Rededicating my life to Christ. <laughs> and you should too if you need to. The gospel's that powerful. Let's move on now to number three. Third motivation for gospel fidelity is the salvation. Oh, you ready for this one? You ready for controversy? The salvation of the elect. The salvation of the elect. There, I said it. Awkward moment in the room. He said elect. Did he mean election? Yeah, he meant election. As in God choosing or politics. God choosing. All right, it's in the room. Got to deal with it. There's the elephant. Being a little silly because I know how controversial it is. But in this passage, it's not meant to be controversial. It's meant to be, if you will, pastoral balm on the soul that is hurting. It's meant to be balm on the soul of the church that is hurting you know what, we're trying to be faithful to the gospel, but it's getting rejected over here and rejected over here, and people are saying bad things about us over here, and people are maligning our reputation over here, and you know what, I just don't know if I want to do this anymore. And in effect, what he's going to say, and we're going to read it in a second is, don't forget about the doctrine of election. Don't forget about God's sovereignty and salvation. And you will find yourself ready for another day and another week and another year. Let's go ahead and read it. Verse 10. Therefore, Paul says, since the Word of God is free, it's going to do what it's meant to do. Therefore, because of that, I endure everything. I can put up with it. I can deal with it. How about this? For the sake of the elect, that they also may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. You've got to deal with it. It's right there. And it's not meant for a church split. It's there meant for encouragement. It's meant to be encouraging to us. Remember election. Remember, cross-reference Ephesians 1, that God chose some before the foundation of the world. Remember Acts 13.48, that all of who have been appointed unto eternal life believed. Now, what you can do is preach, 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 preach. Don't compromise at all. Preach, 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 preach with a smile on your face and joy in your heart, a love for sinners who are sinners like you are, but keep telling them about trusting in Christ and you can know that you can know that you can know that you know. Acts 13.48, all those who have been appointed unto eternal life will believe. And so, my friend here rejects My friend here rejects. My friend here rejects. I'm getting bad-mouthed by this person who's not my friend. Bad-mouthed by this person who's not my friend. I'm getting pushed out of this culture, this society. Oh, man. Remember election. Don't quit. Keep going. God uses the proclamation of His gospel to bring about salvation. The salvation of the... What was that word He used? Elect... You yep. know, gonna keep doing it, gonna keep going. You know, if we don't believe in the doctrine of election, I think we're just ready for church ulcers and individual ulcers. Man, it depends upon me. I'm not sleeping tonight. If you're sleeping, what kind of are you crazy? You've got to develop a more persuasive argument. you've got to somehow come up with better answers and and better everything because you know what? You've got to persuade people in and of your own power to get people to be saved because it's all in the balance and it's all up to you. You need to read that book, How to Win Every Argument. No, you don't. I read it and it doesn't work. tried it with my wife. (laughs) I literally did read that book and it didn't work. But that's the kind of pressure we would want to feel. And you know what? That is going to lead to an ulcer. It's not about us. But God does call us to be faithful to the gospel. We're going to proclaim the gospel. Don't compromise on the gospel. Don't fudge on the gospel. Don't water down the gospel. Hold on to the gospel like we saw last time. By the grace of God, by the power of the Spirit for dear life. And don't compromise that at all. And you can have confidence knowing that, like Paul, you do everything for the sake of the elect. It's great that he doesn't say, everything you do in ministry, you do for the sake of the non-elect. You know what? Ultimately, we don't know who the elect are, but ultimately we're doing everything for them. Isn't it interesting that he ends that verse, verse 10, with, with the eternal glory? That's the end, right? Like Romans 8. That's the end. When you see Christ and you're made like Him, He's connecting that with the elect. The elect are going to get there. So that would include salvation. That would include sanctification or spiritual growth. Eventually, it ends in glory. So what do we do? We do all things for the sake of the elect, for their salvation, for their sanctification. Ultimately, it's going to lead to their glorification. How about that for the next Omaha Bible Church billboard? Omaha Bible Church, byline, doing all things for the sake of the elect. (laughs) You'd be thinking, you know, somebody comes into your cubicle on Monday. Don't you go to Omaha Bible Church? I saw the sign. You're so arrogant, right? Oh, that means you don't do evangelism or some other crazy, ludicrous thing, like they said to William Carey, the most well-known missionary in the last... Who knows how many years? But even though I don't want to put it on a billboard, maybe we'll get a billboard and have it say something else, but in white font on white background. <laughs> Just so we all know. <laughs> all things for the sake of the elect. That really is. That's Paul's tagline. All things for the sake of the chosen. It's the same word. we don't know who they are until they believe or die so we preach Christ to everybody we preach Christ to everybody one author put it this way there will always be people who argue that the doctrine of election makes missions and evangelism unnecessary but they are wrong wonder how he really feels um, <laughs> it does not make missions and evangelism unnecessary. It makes missions and evangelism hopeful. Because apart from God doing that, initiating, doing the work, no one would ever believe. All things for the sake of the elect. Think about that in this next week and year in ministry as you're serving, whether it's in the nursery and somebody is mean to you there or in the bookstore Cleaning team, whatever it is you do in life and ministry and conflict and tension, and I I just don't know if I need this. And you can tell me this too when I'm thinking, I don't know if I need this. All things for the sake of the elect. All right. Sounds good. Sign me up. Sign me up. we're not going to take the time, but you could go to John chapter 6, verse 37, John chapter 10, 14 to 16, John chapter 10, 24 to 28, to weigh in on what Jesus taught about these same exact things because he teaches the same thing Paul teaches about these things. One more. Fourth motivation for gospel fidelity or faithfulness is the simple truth. The simple truth. Verses 11 to 13. Let's begin in verse 11. The saying is trustworthy. It's reliable. It's truthful. For if, I, if we have died with him, we will also live with him. That is simple, isn't it? Let me just summarize it for you. Let me give you the simple truth. If we died with Jesus, trusting in him and his death on your behalf, guess what? Ready for, for profundity par excellence? You'll live with him. That's Sunday school truth. That's cubby truth, you know? That's just basics kind of truth. That's flannel board truth, flannel graph. You know what? Let's just remember something. You think about saying, you know what? I just don't know. I just don't. I'm so discouraged. Just remember this simple truth. If you died with him, you live with him. All right. That's good. That's gospel. (laughs) It's helpful. Sometimes we just try to make it too hard. Try to make it too difficult. He's saying it's not that difficult. It's just really straightforward and really simple. Now, it does cut two ways. We're going to see in a moment, but let's just keep reading. He says in verse 12, If we endure, we will also reign with Him. Now, at first... That's really encouraging and I think it's meant to be. Because you're in the trench, you know, you're fighting the war and there are bombs going off all over the place and you're taking sniper fire and you can develop the analogy if you'd like to and, and you think, man, this is, this is a hard battle to endure. Is it really worth it? And he says, let me tell you, it's worth it. If you endure, verse 12, we will also reign with him. Timothy, keep fighting the battle. Don't quit, don't compromise. How about this? This might help. Don't think that it's all for nothing. It's not all for nothing. We're talking about reigning with Christ. We're talking about reigning with Christ here. The endurance is is a good investment. It's not a waste of time. Remember, he's the offspring of David, risen from the dead. We can reign with him. You can't reign with a dead savior. But you can reign with this one. Now you might think that can't be what Paul means. He's not insisting on endurance. Jesus said in Matthew 10:22, "The one who endures to the end will be saved." You say, "What? What about grace? Well, it's all by grace. Read Philippians 1.6. He who began a good work in you, that's God, grace, will be faithful to perfect it, to carry it out, to bring it to the end, to endure it, if you will. This is God's doing, but make sure we understand. The endurance is worth it, but let's make sure we understand. Timothy, you're thinking about quitting? That's a dangerous road to go down. The promise is there. Endurance reigning. But just remember, Endurance is significant, and endurance is important by the grace of God. Because the stern second part of it is, in verse 12, if we deny Him, He will also deny us. And you say, that is stern. Be careful how you're thinking this through, Timothy. Be careful how you're thinking this through, Pat. Be be careful how you're thinking this through, my Bible Church. Are we going to be faithful to the gospel or not? Are we going to be faithful to the end or not? Endurance equals reigning. Denial equals being denied. You say, that sounds like uh, motivation through fear. Call it what you want. But Christians don't get motivated by fear. It's only by love. Read the verse. I I sense a little fear there. I just need to know full well that if I deny him, he'll deny me. You need to know that too. We need to know that corporately as a church. We deny Christ, he denies us. Read the Revelation accounts to the point where we have the gross and disgusting graphic of Jesus saying... If there's not repentance, I will vomit you out of my mouth. It's disgusting. (coughs) If you deny me, I will deny you. That motivates. That's a motivator. It's not the only motivator. I'm really glad it's not the only motivator. But it is a motivator. Jesus said in Matthew 10.33, Whoever denies me before men, I will also deny before my Father who is in heaven. Luke 12.9 says the same thing. Mark 8.38 essentially says the same thing. In action, Matthew 7.23 says the same kind of thing. It's a big deal. What we're going to do with the gospel is a big deal. It really is. And verse 13 comes, and this will be our last verse. If we are faithless, He remains faithful, for He cannot deny Himself. And there's two ways to take that, and respected Christian believing scholars disagree about what it means. Some see it as kind of an isolated passage, and they see it as um, assurance, even if you're faithless. It's taken that way quite often. You might have a study Bible that takes it that way. And others say, no, if you pay closer attention to the context and you keep it with verse 12, this is not a statement about assurance. This is a statement about assurance that God is going to do what's right. If we are faithless, He remains faithful, for He cannot deny Himself. That is to say, verse 12 really is going to happen. If we deny Him, He will also deny us. How do we deny Him? We deny Him by being faithless. I think the context supports the view that says, this is not where you go to say, I don't have to believe, but God is going to be faithful to save me. I don't think that's the idea at all. If you want to walk off the track, you can walk off the track, but know this, God is faithful and he doesn't embrace unbelief. That's why he calls you to believe in his son. It's a sobering kind of reminder. It's a sobering motivation. Otherwise we have God denying himself really. This is sort of like John 3:16 and John 3:18. John 3:16 is the positive, John 3:18 is the negative. Believe for eternal life, don't believe for judgment. God is faithful. He deals with us accordingly. I wonder what you're thinking. Maybe I don't want to know what you're thinking. I actually do. When you look at the landscape all around us, We don't have that many great examples. Stalwart, standing firm with a spirit of love and graciousness, but standing firm. We do have some, but we don't have that many, and we have lots on the landscape of they used to hold to the gospel. I've heard them preach with my own ears. I've witnessed it. And now they're actually saying people who deny the gospel and deny the eternality of God are members of the body of Christ. And so we're tempted to maybe go there. What do we do? What does Timothy do? What do I do? I'm ashamed to tell you, I'm ashamed to tell you that I don't even know how many people who have impacted my life and been spiritual mentors and leaders in my life I think of five of them that I've ever had in my whole life. Three if not four of them have either denied the faith or have lived a life that shows a denial of the faith. And I don't think I've ever said that publicly before because it's shameful. But then I have a decision to make. Do I just check out and say, you know what? This is messed up. I think I'm going to find something easier to do. Or do I or do you remember Jesus Christ? Remember Jesus Christ. Remember Jesus Christ. Remember Jesus Christ. That is what we do. Because no mentor has ever been my Savior. And if God could speak through Balaam's donkey, He can speak through men and women. Right? No matter what happens no matter what your mentors do or don't do, no matter what I do tomorrow and I don't plan on doing anything out of the ordinary. No matter what, no matter what, no matter what, no matter what, remember Jesus Christ. Remember Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, thank you for a time this morning where we can talk about sober things that provide us with motivation. And I'm asking on behalf of this particular local church, that men and women would be remembering Jesus Christ and remembering Jesus Christ some more. And where Christ isn't remembered, that there would be a good and gracious but firm spirit of reminding that we would continually be pointing and being pointed to Christ Jesus, the living Savior, central to your plans and purposes. And that we would see Christ glorified in the city of Omaha. That we would see people repenting of their sin, people trusting in Christ, and Christ alone, that we would see their lives transformed on their way to glory. And that the fruit of that would be obvious and evident, that lives would change, that families would change, that our community would change as a result of the gospel because of the gospel and for the fame of the author of the gospel, Jesus Christ, the Lord himself. In Jesus' name, amen.